think we lost our host with the most, but, <laughs> but I think we, <laughs> you made Harley the host. Hey Harley, thanks for joining us tonight. <laughs> there he is. Wow, I don't know what happened. I think I hit the wrong button. <laughs> I'm like, oh. where, did, where did everybody go? We're live. <laughs> <laughs> You did like you did like a Robert. Robert did that on his show when it started opening up and everything. And all of a sudden, whoop, he was gone. And then that is crazy. Let's not yeah. ever do that one again. All right. So now we're not, okay. We're we're good now. Okay, good. Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to uh, ClearProp TV and PPG Grandpa's Promoter Podcast. ClearProptv.com is what you see right now. Come here every Monday night to watch us live. Uh, if you want to listen to us because you don't want to see our ugly mugs, go to paratalk.org and uh, listen to our audio. Uh, we have Harley here. He is our guest tonight. And you probably remember him from our show back in episode 24. This is season three, episode 110. And we got a great show for you tonight. Uh, we have Paramom USA, our Linda Anderson, our cheerleader. She's a little bit under the weather, so she's on mute, I guess. But uh, glad that you're here. Uh, we also have Will Fly from WillFlyPPG.com. Glad you're here, buddy. He's uh, he's um, he, he does a lot of great videos. If you haven't been over there, make sure you go to WillFlyPPG.com. Hit that uh, subscribe and that bell notification. Amazing stuff. We also got Eric and Jade Lear. You can find them over at ppglear.com, L-E-A-R, and paramotorgirl.com. They do some paramotor shows on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. We'll talk about that later tonight. But tonight is not about us. Tonight is about Harley. You've probably known him from the 50X Challenge. He did the Coast to Coast. We're going to have an amazing show tonight. Harley, um, Melon, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here, buddy. Yeah, thanks for having me back. It's been a little while, so I'm kind of glad to be here. It's been a while. So for those of you out there that don't know Harley, Harley, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into paramotoring. Sure. So, um, goodness, I first, you know, watched, um, I guess they were called, um, goodness, what were they called? basically like a hang glider with a motor on the bottom i think uh, i can't even remember what those were called but when i was in high school i got to see those guys and then uh, when my grandfather died he left me i don't know equivalent of about five thousand uh rand which in today's terms couldn't have been more than about five hundred dollars but i learned to fly one of those and it was just prohibitively expensive so um probably about seven years ago i was in in uh, asia and read this magazine about paramotoring and I was like, I got to do it. And six months later, I was out flying, uh, learning to fly anyway. And um, that's what got me into paramotoring. Well, so, you, you gave us a clip about a three minute clip here. Uh, tell us about uh, what, what are we looking at right now? Yeah. So uh, what I did for your show here is put out this new premiere of just some of the cool places that I've got to fly sort of over the last uh um i don't know six months or so and in fact the first half of this video about a minute and a half we're all just in the last month um uh, where i started out um and i guess this is going backwards from the trips so arizona circus uh then pinal uh with the store of the airplanes uh, this is the sacatan mine and uh it's it's really deep i i went all the way down 700 feet into this hole it's 
absolutely huge, um, but uh, got me to go all the way into the bottom. Um, and then prior to that was Glamis Dunes here. Uh, one of my favorite places to go actually, um, cause it's just, it's so, so pretty and it's always changes. And of course there's lots of other sports there. Um, and the trip sort of started off here with the Salton Sea. So this is me unboxing the new, uh, Da Vinci, uh, disco. And, uh, this is sort of, uh, becoming a replacement for my snake 1.2 and I'm absolutely loving this wing so far. So that's kind of what this first half of the video is. And uh, the second half is really about some of all the other super, super cool places that I probably flew over the previous, I don't know, six, six, eight months or so. You've, you've been to a lot of different fly-ins, right? So uh, what kind of fly-ins? I see that you've been to Salton Sea, but uh, what other fly-ins have you been to? Yeah, so not as many East Coast ones as I would love to do. Um, but um, goodness, I got to remember the one in, in Florida. What's it? Sun and Fun, I think, was that was the one of the main ones down at the um, goodness, right on the edge. You know, John Ripper would remember what it was called. But uh, on the East Coast, that one, and um, I guess also out in Georgia, a um, couple out there. But uh, here on the West Coast, yeah, typically it's uh, Blackhawk, Lincoln, Salton, um, all the main ones that, that I go to here on the West Coast. We're, we're not as lucky as you guys on the, on the East Coast where you've got so many more fly-ins. Now, um, I say that you're flying an airplane. You said that you got your GA finally? Yeah, so this was, this was one of those things, you know, growing up in South Africa, everything's so expensive and you just never think you're ever going to try and do one of these things but you know one of the things i discovered through the 50 state tour was like really um the airports out there are just great and so when you it it shows how general aviation you can really go from place to place all the time and uh such an amazing experience so i i kind of during the 50 state tour said i absolutely wanted to go ahead and do it and uh so i spent the first quarter of last year and went and did it and Actually, I'm going to be doing about eight hours of night flying this week, um, just building my hours and uh, I don't know, might eventually do a commercial or something crazy. Now, how many hours do you think that you actually have of flying? I know we talked about this on the pre-show. Yeah, so paramotoring, uh, I'm at about a thousand hours and um, I'm, I'm averaging, I don't know, about 200 to 250 year paramotoring um last year in, in general aviation i did about a hundred and about a hundred so altogether about 250 to 300 hours last year which was too much i think that that that's a lot you you sound like you you fly like me every time that you get the chance you're out there flying um i think that we even have some uh, questions in the chat but before we ask the question in the chat let's say hello to the people that have joined us john wayne london ivy bill h deweese milstead Eric PPG Lear, um, let's see, Austin, let's see, who else, PPG, the other Nick, Daniel Roosh, uh, Kirk K, we got a lot of people here, and uh, thank you so much for joining us, James, I'm scrolling down, we got Paramotor Girl, Nick Griffith, uh, Mad uh, Sloper, Travis Dupont, um, we got a lot of people in here, so thank you so much for, for joining us tonight. Uh, we also got a question in the chat, and Eric is going to ask that one. Yeah, so this is from uh, Daniel Rausch. Um, 
How did you like the Flow RPM wing? I, I absolutely love it, actually. It's, it's probably one of the fastest uh, cross-country wings that, that I've ever flown. Um, you know, when I researched doing the coast-to-coast, um, I, I kind of boiled it down to just two gliders that I, I knew I could trust and that I wanted to utilize. And that really was the Hadron 3 and the Speedster 3. And um, I landed up going with the Hadron 3. Um, and I think that was great. You know, it turned out to be a good decision. I probably could have gone down to about a 20 um, on the Hadron 3. But with London Ivy, I'm so glad to see him on at Cloudbase uh, PPG. I finally spelt his name correctly, actually put the E in there um but um so I, I haven't got a lot of time on the rpm but it's incredibly fast um to give you some idea when i took it down to the salton sea um with no wind at all i'm averaging about 45 miles an hour with just a little bit of wind i'm cranking out 50 53 miles an hour and um you know you put a good solid tailwind behind you and, you know, you know, if, if you put a 50, 60 mile an hour tailwind behind you, you're doing over 100. So um, you, you're covering real distance. I mean, you're actually flying faster than a car. Um, and so one of the benefits I think I found with that glider was it comes up a little bit slower. It's actually a little weird for me to go back where, you know, a lot of the, the, the A gliders will come up much slower and then, and then sort of you speed up and, you know, the glider comes forward. I found I was coming off the A's just a, a little quickly, and that's because I'm used to much more sporty gliders. So if you're in a in a high wind scenario, um, that actually for me can be a benefit because with a sporty glider, it just rips up too quickly, and I'm a little slow on my feet sometimes. So it's a great glider. I'm loving it, and I'm looking forward to uh, doing some more cross country time on it because. Um, you know, the other thing too, is it's kind of maneuverable, which, you know, you, you don't always get from some of the, the safer cross country gliders. So if you compare it to the Luna two, which I, I love, um, to try and get that thing to turn, you really need to use the tip steering, um, the RPM it, it's, it, it's sporty, but it's, it's really fast and, and safe so far is what I'm liking about it. Now, when Absolutely. it comes to takeoff and landings with those fast wings, do you notice it or do they take off and land like uh, the Luna? Uh, I actually, that, that's kind of what I really liked about the RPM was, you know, it's a really easy takeoff and landing. It's not very sporty at all. It's a lot like the Luna too. Um, and uh, so, you know, that's, you know, I get, I, I get a little bit more speed out of that RPM than you can get out of the Luna too. Um, so I, I, I like that, but then the takeoff and landings is, is very, very similar. Um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say there's a, a huge amount of difference. I think the toggle setup and, uh, sort of the rises and sort of, you know, whether you've got your tip steering tied in and so forth, those are a little changes that you, you kind of have to get used to when you switch those gliders. What, uh, what machines have you flown as far as pair motors themselves, as far as the frames and the motors? Yeah, I, I, um, goodness. Um, of course, I started off with Blackhawk, and I'm still mostly flying Blackhawk. Um, but uh, flown Parajet, I think Power to Fly. Uh, I flew an old Walker jet down in uh, in Hawaii. That was an experience. Uh, I think with a, I think maybe a Simonini engine, actually, pretty old one. 
I bet that um, was pretty heavy. It was heavy. It sat low. It wasn't very comfortable. It was an older unit. Died of me once in the air, had a, an emergency landing. Um, flew the flat top, actually. You know, I, I'd like to, I should have, uh, while I talked to Trevor when I was down at Sultan, I should have uh, asked them to let me fly it again because I think if I get that flat top adjusted, um, I, I'll like it even more in the air than I, than I already did. Um, so it's, you know, I, you know, a lot of people sort of, I think when you start out, you definitely are wanting a much lighter machine and something that's a little bit stronger and so forth. So that when you, when you mess up, you can work around it. But I think these days, um, I will pretty much fly anything that somebody will let me try. Um, I was very curious to see a couple of the new manufacturers machines at Salton and at Arizona Circus. And unfortunately, I didn't get to fly any of those machines, but um, I don't know, probably five or six different frames in total. Um, and everything from, um, I guess, the old HE, Viterazzi, Corsair, of course, um, you know, they, they supported me through the coast to coast, but I really am loving that engine for a number of reasons. Um, the big thing that I like about it is it's a little bit quieter than the alternatives. So if you've got a frame that doesn't re reverberate a lot uh, and you've got a quiet engine, uh, it's amazing how much closer you can get to livestock without them freaking out. Uh, it doesn't upset the neighbors quite as much. And so I, I personally like something that's a little quieter. The other big, big thing for me with the Corsair engines is that they are, um, it, certainly with the, the Black Devil in particular, it's about 15 to 20% more fuel efficient than anything else that I've flown. Um, so, you know, with the Mosta, you're flying a 185, you're flying a 172 Corsair. They both produce about the same amount of power, and there's about a one, one and a half uh, pound difference in weight between the two of them. Um, so smaller, slightly smaller piston, but you're creating the same amount of horsepower. You're getting more fuel efficiency, um, about a gallon and a third versus a gallon and a half on the Viterazzi. Um, and the other big thing for me is the Viterazzi, you pretty much, you know, there's required maintenance or recommended maintenance every, every 50 hours. Um, it's about half as much uh, maintenance on the Corsair that, that I've had. Um, and uh, things like the exhaust bushings and all that kind of thing, you don't get as much wear. Um, and literally all I've had to do is put in a carb kit and clean the top of the piston on the last 120, 130 hours on, on my Corsair. And um, I like the engine. I, I'm very, very happy with it. Um, and, you know, Corsair have been making that design probably longer than anybody else. So it's a solid engine. Other thing too on warranties, you can go direct. You can call Corsair directly, even if you buy it from a distributor here, and you can get your warranty support straight away without filing a lot of paperwork. And I love my Viterazzi engine. It's a great engine. But when it comes down to warranties, Corsair have just been absolutely stellar. Interesting that you're talking about the Corsair 172 because that one is on the way for me for my next motor. Um, so I'm, I'm anxious to, to fly that. Uh, any other questions in the chat, Eric? Yeah. Uh, or, or Bill? It's okay. Um, Bill H. And I, I pretty much 
I think I know the answer to this question, but he's asking, since you're flying general aviation, do you plan to stop flying para paramotors? Absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> um, for one thing, I can do a hell of a lot more flying in, in, uh, in uh, paramotoring at a fraction of the cost. It's, it's, it's just, it's so expensive just to keep flying the, the stuff. And it's, you know, um, you know, I, I want to fly more, I want to do more trips. Um, you know, it's a constant balance between trying to, trying to stay solvent and, and figuring out the next trip to do. Right Absolutely. on. There's, there's a, uh, uh, you know, as a pilot myself, I mean, I'd, I'd be curious to hear your, what your takeaway is, like, what do you love about general aviation as opposed to, I mean, what do you get from one that you don't get from the other that I like a comparison? I, I mean, definitely being able to cover more distance um, in, in a little bit more comfort is kind of cool. Uh, I'm definitely down for doing, you know, a hundred dollar hamburger in general aviation just as much as I am for, you know, a fifty dollar hamburger uh, in paramotoring, right? <laughs> um, <Yeah>. You know, <laughs> um, I you know, what if 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 I could figure out a way, and I'm I'm I you know I. I keep saying I don't want to sell my soul and go work for a regular company and start making some, some real money again. But if I could go out and buy an airplane where I can literally fly, parafly, camp, whole bang, I think, you know, I think I would, I would live like a gypsy and that's how I would make it work so that I could do both together and, and go all over the place. I wonder how many people out there would like to do that. If you're in the chat, let us know. Would would you like to just fly paramotors and live off the land so you have more time to to go out there and fly? Let us know. I know I would if if I could. If I could just, you know, be a minimalist. I don't know. I don't think I can, but I would love to. <laughs> well, I mean, you see I'm already doing it, right? I I moved into this camper 2 years ago and uh you know, it's I'm very fortunate. I'm on a, a winery where I, I'm keeping an eye on the property here. And so my cost of living is, is relatively low. Um, and that, that's how I'm affording to, to do these things, um, especially since, you know, my business is barely, barely going, you know, the COVID almost destroyed it and, uh, you know, make, you know, started having a startup sucks. It's, it's hard work. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Bill H in the chat just said, yes, he would. Um, so yeah, for those absolutely. of you who don't know, a hundred dollar hamburger is what is what they call it when you rent an airplane or whatever, or you just fly your own airplane over to another airport or whatever and grab a burger and fly back. But it's not a hundred dollars anymore. You yeah, it's more like that. a two hundred dollar hamburger. Now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm very lucky. I, I fly through the Travis uh, Air Force Base uh, Aero Club. And so, you know, if you want to learn how to fly uh, in the Bay Area, you can pay anything from 80 to 125 an hour just for an instructor. And then for a plane, you're typically looking closer to about 120 uh, dry plus fuel. And, you know, fuel here in California is the most expensive, probably maybe not quite the world, but certainly in the whole United States, we're pay paying 550 now for for unleaded 100 so it's crazy expensive um so you know the the aero club's a lot cheaper i'm paying 
about 80 to 85 dollars an hour for an airplane plus the 50 60 dollars an hour for for fuel so um per gallon for fuel i should say so paramotoring is the cheapest form of powered aviation that we know of right now i think so i mean i don't know if electric's any cheaper and um i guess if you want to ride your bicycle to charge your paramotor <laughs> I didn't even think about that. You know, you can have a one way to yeah, do like, it, like a like a bike or something. You know, at your house or a, or a treadmill that generates electricity. I guess you could fly for free. I don't know. We'll have to figure that one out. Probably you, you could fly drive. You know, basically cycle until you fly the get the power motor charged and then take off and then land again and pedal some more. I mean, we're going back to the Wright brothers' days. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Um, now I know that before the show, when we were at the pre-show, we talked a couple about a couple of things that we want to talk about. So tonight we're going to be talking about safety, and we're going to be talking about flying out of airports. We're also going to be talking about ADSB that's portable for paramotors and the differences between getting a ADSB for drones and putting them on the paramotor and a real ADSB. Uh, that's portable, and Harley's going to be talking about that, and we're also going to be talking about your 50X coast-to-coast. Uh, coast. So let's go ahead and start off the bat with uh, safety and paramotoring. Um, what do you what do you want to talk about as far as the safety and paramotoring? You know, I think, you know, last year was a little disconcerting at the beginning of the year when we started because we, we had a number of fatalities, and I, I don't ever remember a, a year in paramotoring, let alone in general aviation, when there were so many fatalities. Um, I mean, I think general aviation averaged about one fatality per day. And as I recall, I think we had about nine or 10 paramotor related fatalities last year. So, so that was quite a lot. Um, you know, I think we had a rash of them at the beginning of the year and a rash of them sort of towards the end of the year. And um, you know, one of the things I appreciated about both um, the Salton Sea and Arizona Flying Circus this year was, you know, people attending these flyings really did seem to put safety at a much higher level than they had done in, in previous years. And so I, you know, my encouragement is that we continue to do that. Um, you know, unfortunately at Glamis, we had uh, two incidents in the space of 12 hours uh, where one, inexperienced pilot with a matter of maybe 10 or so flights uh, under their belt um, pulled a very sharp maneuver and unfortunately uh, landed up uh, going into a steep dive into the ground and had to be ambulanced out of there with several broken bones um, but less than 12 hours later one of the most experienced pilots that we have here in the united states also experienced an incident and he had to be helicopters out of, out of the dunes um, mostly because of where he was, um, but also, you know, pretty severe injuries. So I think it's, it's really just one of those examples where it doesn't seem to matter how much experience you have on one end or how little experience you have on the other, um, you know, constantly being aware of, of what's going on um, and, and thinking about your own safety uh, is, is critical. If you're low to the ground, is there's always that opportunity um as, as was the case here where you know the, the glamour students gremlins they reached out and, and grabbed predator and and said you know come hang out down here for a little while you're having too much fun up there 
Um, so I, I just want to encourage people to continue to, to be safe. And if you're going to do maneuvers, um, do them high and practice them where you're not getting a lot of, a lot of eyes who are worried for your safety or, or raising eyebrows. Um, do it in a way that's safe and, and continue to you know, look after yourself out there. I'm hoping we, we don't really see any major incidents like we saw last year. I, I agree. And here's something, too, uh, for everybody here on the panel. And, of course, you guys that are listening to us that uh, have access to that Super Chat uh, live here. How many people actually fly with a reserve and how many people don't fly with a reserve because they choose not to? And one of the things that I'm sure that you guys have seen, you've seen that one paraglider that was flying along, minding his own business, no one else was around, and a big bird got caught in his lines and took him down. If he wasn't able to throw a reserve, I don't know what would have happened. So, you know, it's not that I fly really well, but what if something happens do you have a reserve to fall back on so who flies with the reserve i know i do anybody else uh harley does um eric yeah i i admit i'm sometimes you know i'm i'm in a hurry or i'm just going to do a quick low flight where i know i'm flying low to the ground and i i don't really want to hassle with a reserve but you know one of the things you know through the 50 state tour i didn't have one and i had never flown in anything where I felt like I needed one. And then um, I knew as I was going to do the coast to coast, you know, it was paramount that I had one. And then right before the coast to coast, um, in the middle of summer, I had an incident where um, I, I came through this massive big thermal, the whole one side of the glider collapsed and it took a thousand feet to recover. And I didn't have a thousand feet left and I didn't have a reserve that day. Um, and if I'd had one, I would have definitely thrown it. So it took a little while to clean my shorts afterwards, but um, that was an example where, you know, having one is, is critical. And, and the interesting thing is, you know, I know that I'm flying, you know, more aggressively now. I'm flying it more times of the day when the risks are greater. And I have actually found that I've noticed I get a little more nervous when I don't have the reserve. So I don't think we want to get into a scenario where you you're doing things because you feel like you've got the safety of the reserve, but it sure as heck makes perfect sense to have it. Um, even if you had to throw it out at 200 feet, you know, anything to help cushion that, that landing is it's going to be important. Absolutely. I, I, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, if I'm going to be up high, if I'm going to be going someplace, I'll fire at the reserve. If I'm just going to be doing some foot dragging, um, I probably won't. Um, let's see, Daniel Roof said, had one mounted before my first flight. Eric said, yes, I fly with the reserve. John Wayne, I fly with the reserve. Uh, Travis DuPont, DuPont says the same thing. I just messed up everything. My, my thing just went. So um, seems like a lot of people do fly with reserves, which is a good thing. Um, I think that there's another question in the chat. Who's going to ask that question? Go ahead, Eric. Okay, um, I do have one question kind of going back and then I'll get to this question, kind of going back to the reserves. Some people buy them and they actually uh, mount them in their car. How high do you have to be for that to work when it's still in the back seat of your car? <laughs> okay, now to the question. And this is from Bill H. What's the next fly-in that you are looking to attend? Um, 
actually i think there's a another one that i haven't been to here in northern california somewhere in march might have to go look at my calendar that i, I think i am going to try and go to that one uh i guess it's oroville airport fly and it's actually a general aviation um um guest flying but uh what's cool there is they they actually have camping so for paramotorists that are in northern california this is one of those airports where you can literally go fly camp um and uh this time of year you know we're sort of getting to the end of the good flying season here but it's far enough north there's loads of agriculture rather than than uh livestock and so i kind of like it up there because very you know a lot less likely to piss a farmer off because you know cattle cattle aren't always comfortable around paramotors apparently i said travis's name wrong it should be dupont right is that it dupont and not dupont my bad <laughs> all right um let's see um so so we were talking about the safety uh, anything else that we want to talk about as far as safety because the next thing we want to talk about is flying out of airports. All right. Well, I, as everyone knows, I'm a huge proponent of paramotors uh, flying at airports. That's what airports are for. Um, a lot of smaller municipal airports aren't particularly well used. Um, and so the quieter the airport, uh, if it's there and it's within a close enough distance of where you live, you know, I encourage people to use it. I think one of the, the things that um, I most often hear paramotor pilots say is, oh, is the airport paramotor friendly? And my opinion for what little it may be worth is that you're asking the wrong question. When you ask that question, what you're kind of demonstrating is that you don't really understand airspace and why the FAA actually funds these airports and that they are there for you to fly out of. Um, and so really the, the question should not be, is it, you know, paramotor friendly? It's really, uh, does the airport have specific SOPs, um, standard operating procedures for how ultralights operate at that particular airport? And it shouldn't matter whether it's a paramotor or anything else that falls under the ultralight class or even the sport license class. So... I really should put out a video that sort of cover this, but what I do when I want to go fly out of an airport is typically I go talk to other regular pilots there and I find out what's going on. I don't even mention that I'm an ultralight pilot. I might not even say I'm a pilot, but I'm saying, hey, I'm thinking of, you know, coming to this airport and flying out of here. And um, can you tell me what, what the activities are and how busy things are? And, oh, and you usually find the old guys are useful. They, they want to tell you how things work there. And very quickly, you learn about what's really going on there versus if you just go to some airport manager and who may not even be from aviation, he, he might be appointed by the city now and he's a retired fire or police officer um, who don't really know very much about aviation. And you say, hey, I want to come fly here. And you say, I've got this glider thing and a big motor attached to my back, you know, they, they kind of get nervous because they don't really know and you don't sound like you know what you're doing. So generally speaking, 
you know, coming in and knowing what you're asking to begin with, find out what the politics are, even go to one of their safety meetings. A lot of these airports have a club there and just listen to the safety meeting and what their concerns are and how things are going. And then eventually you're forearmed in a way that you can ask the most appropriate questions. So if you're um, trying to go fly at an airport and you want some information before, feel free to reach out to me. Um, the method I've been using seems to work I probably fly out of at least 30 different airports here in the Bay Area. It's typically a lot of busy airspace too because it's very congested and you can't throw a stone without hitting an airport here in the Bay Area and some of it's quite busy. But um, if you understand airspace um, and you sort of make friends with the local pilots that are there and find out how things are really working, then, then your question can be, hey, you know, I plan to fly my ultralight here. Do you have a standard operating procedure or do you have an area where you would prefer us to launch and take out of, take off from um, and follow the procedures? And, you know, if you go to AirNav, you can look up everything you need to know about an airport, find out whether it's public, uh, if it's public, um, then typically it's supported by the FAA, which means you can fly there. Um, if it's a uh, uncontrolled, in other words, it's, it's a G or an E airport, you're, you're going to be fine flying out of there. If they have procedures for helicopters, those can often be useful in terms of following the same procedures for coming in and out because typically helicopters are going to come in nice and slow. Um, and then if you're flying with a bunch of other guys, one of the things we've done here in the Bay Area is we've got about 100 guys now in our local group and um, we're all subscribed to a channel and uh, we have uh, documented ourselves all of the operating procedures for all of the airports that we go fly out of, and we all follow those pretty religiously to protect our airports. Um, and so, you know, when, when there is a problem, it's usually someone who's not part of our group, and then we try and bring them in so we can educate them. And as a result, generally speaking, we don't have problems with airports unless they're trying to change things on us. And usually if they're trying to do that, um, they understand fairly quickly that, you know, we're a pretty large group now, um, pretty well educated. And uh, I'm on a first name basis with my local um, FAA uh, standards office. So um, I call them up when I have questions or if we have a problem somewhere and say like, how, you, know, all, you know, all what we're saying correct and, and how should we handle this? And, you know, I, we had, I flew the Concord weapons station a few, few years ago, and we had an incident there where they, they tried to tell us we couldn't fly there. And the flight standard office said, no, you, this airspace per the charts is correct. And uh, that got escalated all the way to the Pentagon and they were told to back off and leave us alone. So um, if, you, if you are forewarned, foreeducated, you can often go fly at these airports. Um, and do it responsibly and actually take the time to educate other forms of aviation that you do know what you're doing. In other words, you've, you've had some training, you understand about airspace, and you follow operating procedures um, and understand how a pattern works. Um, and that way you're not flying out of somebody's backyard or a park or near, near other things that people don't really want you there because you have legitimacy flying out of an airport. I, I love flying out of my airport, um, and I think you're right. When you go to an airport, don't tell them that you fly a paramotor. Just say ultralight, and that, that's like a blanket. 
you know, uh, umbrella covering of everything that that uh, is under the FAR 103. Yeah, and yeah. most people understand ultralight. They don't understand this. This what's this PPG thing you're talking about? Yeah, what's this PPG thing or paramotor? And in many cases, if you just say you're a pilot and you behave like a pilot and sound like a pilot, um, then they might be curious. And well, what do you fly? Well, I happen to fly this ultralight. I, I agree. Yeah, um, we're really lucky over here at our airport. It's uh, not a controlled airport. And the airport manager gave us an actual code to go into the gate, where to go. There's a huge field that's just for us. And uh, I think we got really lucky. But, you know, I think it also is how you conduct yourself as a person and who you talk to. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not a slam dunk across the whole of the United States. There, there are some states on the east coast where um they are trying to force ultralights to have uh insurance just like they require for general aviation um and that that's a little bit problematic um and typically you know either you try and find a way to do it or to comply um or you've got to have that tough conversation and and you've got to pick your battles and, and make sure that you're properly informed um and, and there are ways to go about doing that obviously we don't have time in this show to talk about it but um the, the better informed you are um and obviously you you want to go down the approach where you're easily getting the cooperation that you're looking for where they're embracing you versus they're they're you know basically trying to stop the activity um there's only one airport that i have been to where the the airport manager said, under no circumstances am I going to let paramotors here. And, you know, she didn't have anything in her, her remarks specifically that didn't allow ultralights. And that has to be approved by the FAA, too, if they're FAA funded. Now, I have two private airports right next to me, the closest airports I have, but they're private and both of them don't allow ultralights. And I have tried. So those 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 are games that you can't win. But uh, if they're FAA funded, um, nine times out of ten, you've got to decide how how badly you want it. Whether you want to go fight those battles, um, and you know, I try to go down the approach of really you know educating or at least sharing, and sort of giving them the opportunity to play along versus um you know having to call my flight standards office and, and get them to call them to find out what's going on and that's a call they don't really want because then they have to start explaining things to the faa and uh that can trigger an inspection and there isn't an airport i can think of that wants an inspection well I, it doesn't sound like anybody wants i don't want an inspection i don't want anybody coming over here and inspecting my house or I understand. Hey, uh, any questions in the uh, in the chat? Any questions on the panel so far uh, for Harley? Yeah, you've got uh, a question from some guy named ppglear.com. And thank you, Eric, for making it my turn. He's asking <laughs> about uh, what do you think, Harley, about the, the how the sports exploding in popularity? And what about all the females that are coming into the sport? <laughs> um mm. i i think it's amazing that we have so many more women coming into the sport um and 
you know, the women coming into the sport, it's, it's not like skydiving where they're just sitting on the sidelines and, you know, ready to kiss the guy when he lands on the ground. The more women I see coming into the sport and actually getting involved in learning to fly. Um, and it doesn't seem to matter whether they're four foot eight or five feet. They, they put their motor on and off they go. Um, you know, Alexis Quintana, I mean, she's barely five feet and she's killing it out there. Right. Um, so I, I, you know, I think the, I, the more, the better in my mind, because I think that's, that's, what's tough. If you can start to get couples in to fly and, and so forth, I think the sport's going to get better. Uh, in terms of its popularity, I mean, it, it's amazing just how much of it is exploded. I remember when, you know, I was flying here in the barrier and, and maybe there were only between one and five other active pilots. And now we've got, you know, 40, 50 active pilots that, that fly quite routinely, uh, certainly no less than 20 or 30 that fly a lot. Um, so I think that's huge. I think, um, you know, I think predominantly I, I like the fact that I see people having more training. I just watched a video today where Judson Graham and um, Trevor Steele sat down and I had a discussion. And, you know, even, even Trevor Steele's modifying, you know, the Dell program um, to have more ground-related material that isn't just, you know, kiting and so forth. So I, I think overall we're, we're doing a very good job in – making sure that we don't have additional legislation come in because the training overall is getting good. And I think, especially for, for newer pilots, I, I mean, I, I would like to say we have a fairly decent safety record um, and their training overall um, from good schools, which have multiple instructors and a good documented program that they follow um, it is critical. Um, look, we're seeing a lot of new guys coming in and training. Um, and I think of guys like PPG Gorilla, who's just killing it out there. Um, there's certainly a lot of room for individual training, but um, hopefully they get big enough where they can expand their schools and you get the benefit of multiple instructors all sharing this different information rather than just learning from one person only one way. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people learn and then they start teaching. And I think that's great. But I'd also encourage people, if you're planning on, on teaching, probably go work uh, an intern at a school. I mean, to, with USPPA, you're supposed to do an internship and actually co-teach with an instructor and eventually build those credentials. Um, so I, I, I think overall, there's more to be done. Um, I think it's very uh, it's going to be very interesting to see with the change in the guard for USPPA, um, how much more we can do to try and get more instructors properly certified and, and, and training. Um, and those that don't necessarily want to go through their program, I think so long as that they've got good resources, I think we'll see the sport continue to grow and hopefully safely. And um, I'd like to see the number of incidents that go down of people getting hurt. Um, I still think they're probably a little higher and, you know, I'm one of those poster childs, right? I, I broke an ankle on my very first uh, landing um, and I got hurt a second time six months later and I got hurt a third time uh, three years later. So, you know, I, I've got hurt. I know what it takes, you know, 
how situationally it could all be just the pilot and not the instruction. Um, but on the flip side of that, perhaps if I'd gone through a different school or perhaps if I had um, taken off with the instructor who was actually instructing me at that time instead of a second instructor, maybe that would have made a difference. Um, I don't know, but the reality is I think the schools that are set up like a real school and they have a good curriculum and lots of people on board to help teach those individuals. Um, I think those pilots overall tend to be um, better prepared than what I might have seen at some other schools where it's literally just the one-on-one -on -one guy. And it's not to say that doesn't work because I've seen that work quite well as well. Yeah, the more people, the better, I understand. Um, I mean, what, what I didn't know before the 50 state tour was, you know, I had learned one way and I had even started to teach that way. And I very quickly realized that, oh, I really didn't know as much as I thought I knew. And there, there are so many other ways to go do it. Um, and um, if you haven't tried, if you're starting to teach somebody else and you came out of one school and you haven't gone and watched training at these other schools, um, I would encourage somebody to go do that before you start teaching because um, there's always a new trick to go learn uh, and maybe do a better job than what you already know. Absolutely. Um, any other questions in the chat, guys? Yeah, there is. Um, let's see. There's a Kevin Voigt here. He said, I am Harley's neighbor in Napa, and we met at Salton Sea this year. I'm doing my training this week, starting Friday at Salton with Team Fly at Halo. Can't wait to fly with Harley at some point. So did you have any influence on this guy? I don't know that I had any influence, but we had we had a conversation a few weeks ago. So it's it's exciting that he's going to go down to Salton and uh, uh, get his first set of flights in there. And then um, um, the challenge, of course, of coming back to Napa is there's lots of grapes and there's lots of steel hanging out the ground and lots of trees. So um, we'll, we'll get him set up where he can gradually build his experience. And, um, you know, the great thing is we have this amazing community. Um, you know, between Petaluma and all the way down to San Jose, there's just so many of us in so many different places to go fly. So um, I, I know he's going to have a blast. Yeah, and uh, congratulations, Kevin, on taking your training and absolutely tell us how your good flight to, or your first flight is. Yeah, you'll have to definitely come back and uh, let us know. Um, real quick, um, before before I uh, forget to ask this question, everybody in the chat, who knew Harley before tonight? Uh, just let us know if you knew Harley before tonight, or is this the first time you heard of Harley? And um, just let us know that this is your first time by saying, nice to meet you. All right, go ahead, Eric. Thank you. All right, come on. Who has not heard of Harley that is in the paramotor community? That's what I was telling Harley. Everybody knows Harley. You've done so much. You, you, are, I, you are definitely known. I, I was a little surprised when I got down to Sultan and, and, you know, a couple of people recognized me. I, I always joke and say, like, how many of you have managed to forget my name yet? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's it, it, it was one of the cool things about the trip. I really did. I got to meet so many people I hadn't met before. And um, it, it, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. I mean, that's. I would almost go so far as to say is my paramotor family is 
much bigger and, and even kinder than, you know, uh, the rest of my life. So I'm very grateful to, to the Paramoto community. I think fly-ins are to finally meet everyone that we've been watching and hearing on the internet, you know, all the YouTube yeah, yeah. videos and Facebook and posts and stuff. It's like, I finally get to meet you in real life. And they're, yeah. and they're, and they're usually pretty darn awesome people. Yeah, I find that I've started to do even less flying at fly-ins now because I'm spending more time talking to people. So it's a blast. <laughs> and it's more fun talking yeah. around. You know, totally. you can fly at home. I know, right? Fly at home. <laughs> Who needs to fly to fly in? We did we need more of a talk-in <laughs> than a fly in. <laughs> shut in. <laughs> there we go. Shut oh, yeah. in. There we go. That's what I was thinking about. <laughs> um uh, yeah, you know, one thing I wanted to say also, like Harley, you touched on we were talking about how ex exploding the, the sport is. And there's there's whole families that are doing it. Travis points that he's got two female pilots in his household and him so and, right. and not too long ago i met it was a family of five and it was going to become a family sport so right. I, I mean that, that's just totally awesome I, i'm trying to remember the family out in in uh i want to say it's in wisconsin it's like western wisconsin um a huge family i think there's like eight boys in there and everybody flies i think it's the martin family and I don't remember the school that though that they have, but it's so amazing to go there. And this, I mean, they're a huge family of I don't know, fifteen or so, and more than half the family actually flies. It's it's absolutely incredible. It is. That is the Martin family, yeah. and it's the dad and four sons, and it's high five paramotor. High I five do paramoting. Believe. There you go. Yeah, I got to fly with them uh, one time when I was out there, and um you know it was the first time i'd had a home-cooked meal in i don't know several months while i was on the road so they they were absolutely amazing and um i think i actually saw them at uh, sultan sea uh, not sultan sea at uh, oshkosh last year so it's good to see them and i've also noticed too that everyone in the paramotor community is just becomes your family once you start flying you are now family you're a brother you're a sister yeah if we could keep it off um social media uh we do even better uh, i wish we could be as kind in social media as we are in person yeah yeah but at least in at least in person we're all family that's 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 all that counts yeah i i see um i don't know um there's a question here from james does someone want to read it or shall i just go ahead and try and answer it uh james was asking do you think standards for instructor ratings should be increased be like via like taking an SIV course, basic collapse recovery drills, longer flight hours, etc. So, I, I I could answer it from a personal level, but I I think you know when I, for example, have talked to uh, Steve at at uh, Midwest Paraject, you know he's I, I I'm kind of down the path where I I think. Not necessarily increasing sort of standards or requirements that requires us to, you know, document and jump through more hoops. I, I don't necessarily think that's a great idea, but I'm not totally adverse to, for example, maybe we should have an airman certificate. I'm required to have an airman certificate to fly a drone commercially because I have to understand the airspace that I. Uh, I'm sorry, real, real quick. A what certificate? an airman certificate 
So oh, airmen's okay. Yeah. So an airman certificate basically means that you know weather and airspace. That's all it really entails. Um, and you know, I have to maintain that license every two years um, to keep flying drones commercially. So I'm not totally adverse to the idea that we should all have that because it gives us a certain level of credibility when it comes to general aviation. But if you talk to some other people, they will, we don't really need to have that kind of legislation because a lot of the training programs that we have in place today are already teaching all those things. So, you know, does it need more um, legislation? No, I, I don't think it does. I think uh, so long as people are getting the material and they're flying legitimately and they're learning what they need to do, probably not. Um, I, I can tell you that I was already teaching before I took an SIV. I kind of wish I'd taken the SIV before I started teaching. Um, knowing what those collapses are and how to deal with those things, those are all things that potentially could help um, because your reactions and your knowledge is going to be better um, by having that additional training. So one of my biggest regrets, and it, it had to do with getting hurt early on in, in the flying, um, was that I, I didn't have the confidence to go do all these other things. Um, of course, I'm going to forget her name, but I did actually get to uh, see them back at Salton Sea. It was a couple that took an SIV class uh, with Andy Fuller um, um, out in Florida. And they hadn't been flying very long. I think they maybe had 50 flights and they went and did this SIV. Excuse me. And I was blown away um, just how amazing they were and learning to do these additional skills. I know I didn't have the cojones to, um, to go do that. And here they were building the experience to make them feel more confident and so forth. So I think if you're an instructor, I think we have some kind of an obligation to know more, a lot more um, about difficult situations um, if we're going to come to teach. So uh, I, I'm definitely a proponent that we should always be trying to learn and get better training and so forth so that we can do a better job. Um, I don't maybe te I don't teach as much as a lot of other people do, and so I'm sure they might have a slightly different opinion, but I certainly don't think it can hurt. Um, and I think the benefits are, are clear. If you haven't taken an SIV and you've been flying for a while, it's definitely a good idea. And uh, I'm trying to make sure that I do one every two years. So my, my plan, I've, I've done two already. I plan to do another one. Um, and I, I know that they've helped. Um, they certainly give me more confidence that when things go haywire, that 99% of the time, you know, unless you're pulling a major maneuver, these wings really do want to fly. Um, and, and you can fix them or allow them to fix themselves relatively easy. I'm just looking in the super chat. It looks like uh, Kevin got a, a Beamer 3 reserve. Um, I got a Beamer 3 and that's steerable. Um, so uh, I'm all about being able to steer myself someplace important after I throw a reserve. And I did throw one uh, in the SIV course, which is, I think, everybody should do an SIV and throw a reserve just so you know what it feels like. Uh, Harley, have you thrown a reserve yet? I have. Um, I did one um, in my first SIV, which was a, a planned throw. Um, in my second SIV, I, I pulled uh, two maneuvers when I was trying to do one and I screwed up 
and um, I landed up with um, one half of the wing tip totally tucked in. And, um, you know, I had Andy talking in my ear and, um, you know, I'd been shaken around pretty badly before that. And um, he said, look, you have a choice. You can either collapse the wing and see if it comes back or um, throw the reserve. And uh, I regret not collapsing the wing and trying because I had the altitude to play with it. Um, and I still had the reserve in my back pocket. So um, I, I'm, I'm curious to do it again because I, I think what I learned was while I'd had enough, I could probably have recovered the wing. Um, and But nonetheless, I threw the reserve and uh, everything worked out great. <laughs> awesome. Anybody in the uh, Super Chat been to an SIV? What do you think about the SIV if you did or are you going to one? SIVs, I think, are great. Uh, any other questions on the panel or chat before we jump to the next uh, topic? What did you say, Will? Well, we're caught up in the chat with the questions in the chat. Oh, we're caught up on, on the chat? Okay. All right. Um, this is the one that is dear to my heart because I think that uh, an ADSB for us um, is pretty. It would make things a lot safer. Uh, ADSB out, you know, where we transmit where we are, so other pilots that either flying GA are able to see us. Um, so, if you wanted an ADSB out right now, they do have some for drones. However, I believe. Now that I talk with Harley, it's actually illegal to have them because we are manned and that's for an unmanned. So, Harley, can you tell us a little bit about ADSB, the portable, and, um, you know, what are your takes on and, and how do we get one? When do you think that everyone's going to have to have one in the future? Yeah, so um, I, I think definitely the, the, the caravan paramotor incident in, in um, December last year sort of became a big catalyst where more and more paramotor pilots are saying, look, I would like to have this added safety feature. Um, so let me try and break it down into a couple things. First of all, right now, in terms of a small portable device, there basically um, is basically only one unit that's about $4,000 um, that's available um, to utilize, um, but there is a criteria to needing that. Um, you can go to something that's a little bit bigger and kind of cobble sort of what would be considered the tail beacon in general aviation and connect that to a little box and, and an external battery. I have a picture of it somewhere. And there are some people who have done this um, and make that work and actually you can connect the app so that you can actually squawk properly. Um, the thing about ADSB um, uh, is particularly here in the United States. In fact, if I step back from outside the United States, uh, in Europe and I think Canada and Australia, there already is a unit out there that's about $2,000. Um, that's perfectly legal and you set in your code and you can squawk. Um, and so that way you can be seen typically by um, air traffic control and by general aviation overall. Um, the problem is um, that that particular device uh, isn't authorized for the United States. And there are a few reasons for that. Um, the other thing I should mention is that I'm part of a working group um, 
and I believe Jeff Gorwin has also sort of taken up uh, the lead to try and engage with the FAA to try and get something for us here in the United States. Um, but basically, we're operating on two frequencies. Um, the, it's kind of congested, especially with adding in um, drones um, and even the way drones are going to utilize ADS-B um, is a lot different to the way it's used in, in general aviation. So the bad news is it's expensive. It's difficult to actually put something together that's small and portable. Uh, the big thing is you actually require an, an end number. In other words, the aircraft or vehicle has to be registered with the FAA. And that's not something that most of us want to go do for paramotoring. Um, and until the FAA changes that rule and allows us to have some kind of a code that we can squawk or some kind of an easy registration um, where we don't have to have an end number, um, I, then you know, maybe, maybe something will get better from this. So the bad news is you actually need to have a registered vehicle or aircraft. I'm actually going through that process right now because of a trip that I'm planning. Um, and it's, it's a bunch of paperwork and a slow process. So not one that uh, I think most of us will want to go through. And you, um, you said that you're a drone pilot and you, and I know that the, uh, the laws are, that drones have to have the ADSB now. What's the difference between the drone ADSB and like something that you see in GA? Yeah, so basically the FAA, I believe it came into effect, well, was passed, I think, last year or the year before. And I think it comes into effect somewhere later this year. And I'm not quite sure whether there's a, a grandfathering process in, but in theory, all drones will have an, an RFID um, that can be transmitted through cell phone coverage. And so um, that will basically transmit uh, those locations of where those drones and an identifier. And the requirement is primarily for commercial drone operations. Now, I don't know how that's going to grandfather in the majority of my drones, because um, out of my fleet, I've only got two that have ADS-B in awareness. In other words, it can tell me when there are other aircraft in my vicinity. It's not particularly helpful because they're flying at a thousand feet and I'm flying at 400 feet. Um, so there's, there's some challenges around that and the technology only primarily works when you've got cell phone coverage. Well, occasionally I don't have cell phone coverage where I operate and that stuff isn't going to work. So I don't know how the FAA is going to handle all that, but the bottom line is it's not necessarily an ideal situation for us as ultralight pilots, um, because once you get to a certain altitude, that doesn't work anymore because you no longer have cell phone coverage. So if you're flying at 5,000 feet and below and you've got decent coverage, maybe that type of technology could work for us. Um, but as my... To my understanding, it's not currently authorized for, um, for manned aircraft. Um, and then, of course, if you're like me, who wants to go catch some big wind and you're operating five to, call it 15,000 uh, feet, uh, well, that stuff just ain't going to work and you're going to re require something else that's battery operated and transmits through the frequencies um, that can be picked up by ATC and other aircraft. So... 
uh, the drone solution is really not one. And, um, you know, I guess I'm going to just say this out loud. I don't think taking, I mean, we could push the boundary with the FA and say, look, we want something that's safer than having nothing. Um, but I think that could also create some problems where maybe there's a better way to go about it. And unfortunately, I think it's just going to take more time. Um, you know, the FCC would have to be involved if we're talking around frequency controls. Um, and I'm not an expert in this. There are some much smarter people that are part of this working group um, that are also trying to produce something and make a product that we could use here in the United States. Um, but even that's going to have to go through some, some hoops with the FAA and the FCC to um, be able to bring that device to market at a reasonable price for us. So, I, I mean, I think that the direction is good uh, in terms of the technology, um, but there's nothing really that's too easy to adopt. It's certainly not at a decent price point. Um, and, um, you know, the, the, the downside is now you've got to do with, deal with an FAA registration. So the, those are all reasons why it's a challenge, but not impossible. Um, the, the bigger issue is this, and, and so I, I want to raise it because I think there, there are some people who say, look, we don't need it. We, we shouldn't have this thing. I certainly don't want to be in a situation where the FAA says I have to have one. Um, a lot of people in ultralights love the fact that we're so unregulated and we don't want to be forced in a situation where, oh, now we have to start carrying certain devices to be able to keep flying. And I, and I kind of agree with that. Um, no, I, I'm, yeah, I'm like you. I, I do not want to be regulated. I don't want to have to have them. But just like you said, if you're going to be flying over 500 feet, you know, um, 1,000, 2,000, 5,000, 10,000 feet, it would be really nice to have something, you know, that will, you know, that will squawk out, say, you know, to, to this jet that's doing 60, you know, 600 miles an hour at me and can go, oh, there's an ultralight there. Let me go ahead and move a little bit so I don't, you know, smash them like a bug. So I, I'm, and I can do this because I, as a general aviation pilot, I can tell you that, you know, and, and in fact, this is true of the area that I fly in. We have a bunch of aircraft that are just outside of the Mode C Vale, which is 30 miles of a major airport. And none of those aircraft have ADSB. And in fact, the club that I fly for have a bunch of T-41s that also do not have ADSB in them. And they don't transmit and they're not required to have them. So one of the benefits we have as paramotor pilots is that our hands are here and we're looking around, right? Seeing a void. And so we actually have better peripheral view and better awareness than a lot of general aviation pilots. A lot of general aviation pilots now are staring at their iPads and following their GPS and they're not looking outside of the airplane. And this is a growing problem in general aviation. So what we don't want to start having is bunches of paramotor pilots that are too busy staring at their phones to see what other traffic is around. Yes, being able to squawk out and not looking at a device is, uh, can help create awareness for general aviation or air traffic control. But on the flip side, now maybe it gives paramotor pilots a comfort in flying a certain area. And their assumption is that other pilots are going to be looking to see if there's other traffic around or that they even have flight following 
uh, or that air traffic control is even talking to them or can talk to them and tell them about their traffic. So I, the problem with the technology is, is that it can create this false sense of security that you can be seen and that someone can tell somebody else that they can be seen. And, you know, I think it's a valuable tool to help create added safety, mm -hmm. but I also don't think it's going to necessarily um, solve or avoid the types of situations that we saw recently that involved an aircraft and a paramotor. Now, you know, we had a local guy here about two years ago that the aircraft didn't see him. He was flying, I mean, the, the paramotor pilot could see the rivets on the plane. That's how close he was. And neither the pilot nor the instructor on board that aircraft uh, actually saw the paramotor pilot. Now, the instructors I've flown with all have their iPads out and they're looking for other traffic around before they do any maneuvers. So, you know, had they had ADSB, could they have maybe been seen? Perhaps, but there's no, no guarantee for it. So I think it's nice, it's good technology. I think if you're going to be flying higher or you're going to be flying in more congested airspace, could it be an added safety tool? Yes, but I don't think it necessarily solves the kinds of problems that we've seen out there. Um, and they still are very, very rare. And for a lot of paramotor pilots, they don't fly where there's a lot of other aviation traffic. So I think it, it, there's going to be some balance, but the bottom line is right now, it's a challenge to have a product um, out there that's reasonably priced um, and that is robust enough for us to be able to use with some level of frequency. And I, I fly through class D airspace quite frequently. I talk to my tower. I fly a lot where there's a lot of other airplanes. Um, I do kind of, I, I, I want to have one. Um, and if I get to do one of the trips that I'm planning to do, I have to have one. So, um, but it means jumping through the hoop with the FAA and I'm already four months in and I, I finally, I, I got some good news this last week. They've assigned me uh, an actual registration. Um, the end number that I already own, they're going to transfer it. And so hopefully in the next couple of months, I'll actually have a registered paramotor that's going to allow me to do some things that I wasn't able to do before. But with that comes the potential that, you know, maybe I'm going to have to jump through some more hoops every once in a while. So well, if you have an end number, then you have the GA license to be able to fly it. The, the only reason why we can fly under FAR 103 is because, you know, it's not registered. It's experimental. But if you have an end number, does that mean that you have to have it inspected also? and fly under your GA license? Uh, these are things they haven't really clarified. And uh, no, um, all, all the end number is really the registration of the aircraft. Um, I don't probably understand as much as I probably do. There's guys like Eric Farewell that might know a hell of a lot more, probably knows a lot more than I do. Um, so I actually, I have an inspection of uh, my paramotor tomorrow. Um, but that's actually for a waiver, not for my registration. So basically, I'm going to qualify for a home-built um, um, aircraft. And I guess with an N number, it's, it's now going to be considered 
Um, I don't know if it's going to be considered a vehicle or an aircraft. That, that's a little unclear. Um, and in theory, I'm still operating under 103 rules as a 103 pilot. It just so happens that I have a 107 and a part. I always get this confused. Part 61, I think, which is the aviation um, license. Because I know that if your vehicle has ever been um, registered or certified as an aircraft, it can never fly under FAR 103. Um, so that's just one of the things that popped up when you said that. So, yeah, I mean, what, what I don't know, and I, I certainly hope won't be the case, is that, oh, you know, suddenly now my parent motor has to comply with Part 61 rules, which means I have to can only use it and take off from an airport. I have to fly 500 feet uh, and above, and I can't fly under one of three rules. So I think I, that's what's going to happen. I mean, if you have an end number, you have you, you can't fly under um, 103 anymore. I, I have two paramotors, right? I'll have one that's you know licensed for one thing and one that's not licensed. I guess um, I I don't know. That's interesting. I, they they haven't clarified that with me. Um, my understanding, at least right now, is that my N number basically means I have registered my vehicle, not an aircraft. Um, it's going to be considered a home-built home vehicle. Um, and that registration allows me to then use an ADSB with that same registration number and be able to actually squawk. Um, so the other thing I, did, I didn't mention about the ADSB, being able to squawk um, your, your 1200, um, by default is obviously great because now you, you can be seen. Um, but in theory, if you're going to enter controlled airspace, you need to be able to squawk whatever ATC tells you to squawk. Um, and that's another complexity that we would have to deal with. Um, so your so, ADSB out is just a 1200? No, um, the one that I'm looking to put into service, uh, will allow me to request flight following, um, via my radio and be able to to transmit whatever they tell me to squawk. So what's nice about that is they they will actually monitor and follow me if I request it. That's cool. Yeah, this is this is cool. I, I can't wait to, to see how this all works out uh, in the future. I mean, this is just amazing. I mean, I love uh, following this stuff. I love to see what people can do. I love to see these these uh, these machines that people are building under FAR 103 being under 254 pounds and powered, you know, it's just amazing what people come up with, you yeah, know, yeah. To, to go fly. I mean, it feels like we're we're the Wright brothers, you know, in 2022. Yeah, it definitely seems like the technology. I mean, the gliders are just they've come such a long way in the last five years, let alone the last 10 or 15 years. Um, we're seeing guys that are learning very quickly from other paramotors and taking the best out of different products and, and making their own. Um, and who knows? I mean, that that uh, a new guy with the the single, oh, the two fans either side. That thing looks amazing. Uh, that I got to figure out how I can get, let me let me fly it. That was cool. Uh, did you see the? Did you see the wingsuit? There's a new guy. There's a guy with a wingsuit that put on um, a double um prop electric so once he jumps he can turn on his electric uh, uh <laughs> prop and be able to keep on going and actually gain altitude as a as wingsuit i mean amazing yeah that's that's pretty crazy
But yeah, so I don't know. To wrap up ADSB, it's uh, it's not a slam dunk, and I think it's going to be for many of us something that's very selective, um, and hopefully we'll have the ability uh, with the right product that's approved by the FA. There's something we we can have as added safety when when we need it. Yeah, I wish that there's just an, an app that we can download and a little box that we buy and connect our dongle to it and turn on our stuff and, and, and use it if we want to. I know that there's a question out there. Eric, you want to ask that question or whoever's yeah. supposed to be asking? Yeah, I have a question. on the As far as the ADSB, why can't, you know, you have one that's small enough, just powered by a LiPo battery, you know, and you say that we're not regulated, but, you know, they do require us to have you know, blinky lights after, you know, sunset and stuff like that. Um, but have a generic N number for ultralights. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think this is where the working group and I, I haven't been too involved in, in sort of what's going on. One, one portion of the group is specifically looking to try and build a product that would be approved. Um, and then I, I don't know, I haven't talked to Jeff Gowen about what he might be doing. Um, but you know, the idea of having something that that's fairly easy where you can plug in either, you know, either it's go online and pay five bucks and quickly register and they give you some ID so that you can be identified and, and knows what your vehicle is. And then you plug that in and now suddenly you're just squawking 1200 and you can be seen and identified as an ultralight whose speed is less than a certain amount. Um, the, the reality is right now you, you can't go do that. Um, and if you did with the technology that's out there, like I looked at one for doing the coast to coast and I could have bought the UK model and squawked whatever the hell I wanted. Um, but the problem is at some point the FA would have caught up with me and said, um, why are you squawking at this power and doing things? You're not a registered aircraft. We don't want you to do that. And now you're in, violation of some rule so um i i don't want to suggest we do something that that would get us into trouble i think um i think with the right people working on it and you know there's enough aviation here in the united states why we don't have something that's out the box available just like they have in europe it's it's a challenge and it's I'm not, I'm not very good explaining the technology side as to why that's problematic, but it has to do with the frequency and the FCC licensing as well as the FAA rules that make that a challenge. How about just Apple AirTags? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the easiest way to go. Um, any other questions about ADSB, the portable, uh, anybody in the Super chat or anybody on the panel. If not, we're going to go to the next topic. I got one thing to say. Um, I, I got to go. And Harley, thank you very much for being on the show. Um, I've never formally met you, but Jade and I both have followed you through your flight, you know, across the U.S., which we thought were was totally amazing. Thank you. So, but uh, we will definitely search out every uh, um fly in and try to find you yeah drop me a direct dm and let's try and connect sometime I, I i'm hoping to make some more trips back to the east coast this year and try and do some more of the fly-ins i'm hoping to make it to oshkosh again um, i didn't stay very long last time but we'll see if we can make it work again this year 
All right, perfect. We will do. Thank you. All right, uh, Linda, Sean, Will. See you guys, everybody in the chat. You guys all take care. All right, guys. Thank you for joining us tonight. All right. I, I, I did want to say something about ADSB. Yeah. And I, I wonder if, if anybody has put the numbers together as far as a percentage of growth year after year for paramotoring. How quickly are we growing? Um, it, it's got to be an exponential factor, you know. Um, so anyways, there's that. On the I wonder if I wonder if anybody's in the chat knows what the growth has been. If you do know the growth, let us know in the super chat. Yeah, if you have a number, that that would be interesting. With the ADSB, I I mean I'm I'm torn. I mean I just the one thing that attracted me to the sport was the no regulation. That whole you know, it was simple, and so on, on that hand, I hate it. On the other hand, I'm like, man, we got to do something. You know, we can't just do nothing. Eventually, it's going to get to the point where <laughs> we're going to have to be able to identify the ATC or other aircraft. Right. Yeah, I mean, the, the t I mean, if you think about it, how many people currently fly with an aviation radio, just for starters, right? In other words, you can listen to traffic. So in other words, if you're within five miles of an airport, well, typically general aviation is going to call out their positions. And you can listen to the, the traffic. You don't need ADSB. You don't need to monitor any form of free ADSB uh, in if someone is, is transmitting. The problem is not everybody out there is going to be transmitting. And it's not just a paramotor or an ultralight thing. There's a lot of people in general aviation that aren't required to transmit the, uh, through ADSB. And I have that here in my, in, in the, at the airports I fly at and around. Um, and they're doing 200 knots, some of them. They don't, they're not required. They're vintage aircraft. Um, so what, what are the rules on, on that? Because I, I heard that in 2020 that the, you had to have ADSB out for all aircraft. I mean, what, what so, is the rules? So um, I'm, I'm going to foo this up. But basically, uh, within a mode C area, in other words, if there is a, a what's called a mode C veil, which is basically a 30 mile uh, perimeter uh, around a particular airport, if you're within sight, if you want to go inside of the mode C veil um, to any airport, you're required to be able to have ADSB out and um, squawk your position. Um, and of course, that's true if you go into a class C or a class B airport as well. So to enter those particular airports, which we basically as ultralights never go in anyway. It should be pretty rare that we would ever need to go into that airspace because we're just too slow. And those airports are B and C because they're busy and they've got big aircraft. So, for example, um, I'm trying to think of a good airport here in the Bay Area. Um, probably even Concord is just outside of the the Mode C Vale. But let's just argue that there's a G, um, a, 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 a an airport that's within G airspace. Sorry, within yeah, it's, a, it's a class G airport, but it's within the 30 mile Vale. Uh, if you are a general aviation aircraft, you are required to have to be able to squawk your, your ADSB. If you're on ultralight, you're not required. 
because we, we don't have an electronic system and we're not required to do that. So when I fly down to the Golden Gate, I'm actually in the mode C. Uh, and because I'm flying an ultralight, well, I don't have to squawk anything. Now, that may change with an N number. I don't know yet. Uh, I guess I'll find out tomorrow. Um, but so, I, you know, the, the reality is uh, it's just a piece of safety, but um, for some aircraft in some areas it's required, and for a lot of the, the country, not required, period. A lot of people fly in a lot of areas where they just don't need it. Yeah. I, I fly out of a busy airport, and uh, it, it's the radio. It's the communication that makes the difference. Yep. And uh, oftentimes there's a guy that comes in, he's in a citation jet, you know, of course he's calling 20 miles out and this and that, and right. he's on the ground before, <laughs> before I, you know, can enter downwind anyways. Yeah. But, I, I spend a lot of time listening to the radio. I, I don't talk, you know, while I'm flying the paramotor, it's too noisy. Most of the time they can't even hear what I'm saying. If I'm trying to transmit, yeah, I have that yeah. problem when I fly into uh, near Napa all the time, if I just want to, skirt the edge of the airspace it's kind of the pain in the butt because um i'm just too noisy um so it's really difficult to have that conversation so i think there's a balance right i mean we've got strobes now we've got gopros and we've got batteries and it's attached to our head and to the side and then we've got flashy lights and you know we're adding a lot of extra stuff they can all fly right through our prop in a heartbeat um, I, I think, I think, you know, for every pilot, they're going to have to create some form of a balance. Um, and, you know, I, I pick and choose how much technology I take with me based off the type of flying or the type of flight that I want to go do. Um, I've stopped videoing most of the stuff that I go do. A lot of times I just go fly for myself and I don't take anything more than my cell phone um, so that if I run into trouble, hopefully I can connect. But if I'm flying in a bad area um, where cell phones are not going to work, I take my um, my inReach with me where I can at least send a text out over the satellite and get somebody to know where I am. But we'll know that even that technology is not bulletproof. So I think people just need to pick and choose. And if they're going to do certain flying that has more risk, then take more technology with you and Hopefully you can package it in a way that that makes sense for you because it gets heavy. You know, that that's the other thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, when I did the coast to coast, I had redundancy. I had two radios. I had an iPad and an iPhone for navigation. I had in reach. We had 360 to follow. I mean, like just piles and piles of technology, batteries to heat my vest, batteries for my gloves. It's just, it's pretty intense. Um, you know, two sets of wires coming out of my helmet. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's. I mean, you, you made you, you, the point was just perfect. I mean, yes. I, what I said was, yeah, I just want to keep the sport like, like pure. And, but you're exactly right. I'm adding all the bells and whistles, you know, the lights and the, the, the cameras and all the stuff. So, but the problem is, I guess, ADSB just does not look cool. If they could come out with an ADSB that was also had some cool flashing lights. And <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you, you, if you reg register the paramotor, you can go get one of those tail beacons. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is a flashy, flashy light right now. 
um, you know, it's bulky. You know, you hook it up just a regular uh, battery. It, it's all great. Um, you know, lipo battery, and it lasts for hours. Yeah. Um, but it it can all add up, and then just trying to package it and and kind of takes out some of the fun. And that's what I like about PPG is like put the thing on my back. I kind of wish I didn't even wig. You know. I kind of, I'm jealous of the beach guys, literally no shoes, a pair of shorts and a t-shirt, you know, John Ripper there and yeah. uh, sticks it on his back and out comes the glider and there's just enough wind and it just lays itself out and launches itself. <laughs> I mean, that's like a day of flying with, with Dell out there in, in Texas, you know, it's the easiest flying you could do in the world. Um, I get a little jealous of that impairment versus, you know, I fly three different airplanes at the club that I'm at. I've got like this little Cessna that um, it, I mean, literally you pull it out the hangar, you do your walk around, you check everything, you turn the key and it fires up and you go versus, you know, the Archer threes have got all these glass panels. And I spent another 15 minutes trying to remember how to get through all the glass panels to make sure everything's working and the GPS and that my redundancy is all working. And I'm like, Oh my God, I just spent, $30 in fuel trying to figure out how all the glass works again. Um, And so I don't want paramotoring to be that way for me either. Um, You know, when I do these big trips and I, and I need safety and I need more tools fair enough, but. um, It's always good to have a ground crew when you do that. And, and since we are talking about your, your 50X and your coast to coast, go ahead and uh, for, for those of you that don't know, tell us about your, your 50X, all the different states, and then go to your coast to coast and explain, you know, the logistics of that, which is just blows my mind. Yeah. So the 50 state tour was, you know, just this idea, you know, I, I had gone back to business school and graduated and said, you know, no one wants to hire me. What am I going to do? And I say, when you, when you graduate college, what you travel, right? So that's how the 50 state tour was born. And if I'm going to drive and go see all 50 states, well, I sure as hell, I'm going to fly a paramotor in all 50 states. And so that, that's how that was all born and came together. And then of course, I, I, uh, I wanted to raise a thousand dollars in every state. And, and so I raised, you know, about, I don't know, 25 or $30,000, um for charities through the course of of that trip um i i mean i there are some people trying to catch me i know ross on the go and it was somebody else i mean there there are plenty of people that have done 30 40 states now uh and and, you know gone to them and flown in them and i think jeff Gowen is uh i think when i last talked to him he was in the mid 30s or somewhere around about there so um i encourage everybody to do it (laughs) he's a paramotor pilot everywhere um even if he's not flying um the i mean that's you know that that's kind of how the coast to coast was born too because um you know when i did the interview with ea they said well what are you going to do next and i i hadn't really thought about it i was like well i i I don't know (laughs) and so i just joked about it so i don't know maybe when i get back there i'll just you know fly right across the country this time and it was a joke and, um, you know, I, I got I got back to California and everything was locked down and more so than any other state I'd been to. And um, I, I was just like, this is not the life I'm signing up for. Um, and so Ray, Ray Pierce, who uh, had followed me since the beginning and was in Wyoming, I spent a, a week out 
uh, at his place. He said, like, if you go do this, like I'm in. And so I had called him up that, that September, like, you know, four months after I finished the, the 50 state and said, are you serious? And he said, yes. Um, and that became the catalyst to everything else. He roped his brother in. Um, then I got Dave Wirt involved. Uh, uh, I got Doc involved. Um, and then, you know, I needed someone in media and I needed somebody to video the whole thing. So that's how Greg and Cynthia came on board. And then I was having problems getting the access to the beach um, out in, in San Diego. And so Peregringo came on board and opened some doors for me. So that's how the whole team came together. I mean, just I mean, seven or eight of us in total. Um, it's just extraordinary how all of us is, were pilots um and knew what the job was and came together and just made it happen and so leading up to it right i had you know sort of planned the route figured out that i wanted to go airport to airport where all my outs were about every 25 miles um turned out i could do a lot more miles i think i was planning 50 to 75 mile legs and then in reality i was flying 120 to 150 mile legs um, so a lot less takeoff and landings than originally I thought I would have to do. Um, yeah, so there's strategically, I mean, even leading up to it, there was all the planning and then getting everyone into those meetings. And then we started having weekly meetings leading up to when we thought we would pull the trigger and are we ready? Yes, we're all ready. And then, Hey, Dave, is the weather going to cooperate? And then Dave says, well, I think you've got a two week window. Um, and then we pull the trigger and like, Literally, we had the meeting on the Sunday, and um, uh, three days later, we'd all come from all over the country and, and got together at Gringo's place in, in San Diego, and uh, the whole thing just came together. It was, was just absolutely extraordinary. But, you know, lots of planning. Um, you know, I had done the Paramotor Nation show. Then Leo was like, oh, we've got to get you, you know, get you hooked into FAI and, and the NAA and try and get official records going here and um, all of that needed more time um, to, to get that stuff to, to come together the way it should have come together. So, um, you know, what, what took six days, well, it took eight days to fly, probably took 80 to a hundred days to plan. And that's how it is with these next couple of trips that I'm trying to do. It's months and months of, you know, spinning the saucer and talking to some people and figuring some stuff out. And then um, logistically, it's it's a nightmare to actually do these trips sometimes is, is a lot easier. Just do go you do have, them and hope for the best. <laughs> do you have multiple like um, paramotors and wings uh, to use? That way you have like a fresh one the next day or or how do you do it that way? Yeah, I just got a stack of them. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, at least two, right? One that somebody works on or takes care of while you're flying, and then you swap out every day type of thing. I don't know. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of flying. That's a lot of maintenance, a lot of wear and tear. Yeah. So oh. um, I, I had I owned my – I had a Blackhawk Kestrel V3 with my Vitarazzi on it, and that – got me through all the 48 contiguous. I flew other machines um, that I had to fly out to those states for. Um, and I had just my, my snake for virtually all of those uh, states. 
So just one glider come hell or high with the, with the weather and made it work. Wow. The coast to coast, um, you know, Blackhawk and um, uh, Corsair sponsored the engine and frame and Paradrenaline um, and Dudak uh, lent me and essentially sponsored the wing for um, the coast to coast trip. So I only had two wings. I, I needed I thought I needed three, and as it turned out, I needed more than two um, because I chopped the lines on one of them a thousand miles in, and then was there flying the snake, which wasn't the ideal glider. Although, thank God, with the progress I had made, it it worked out just fine. Um, recently, with the help from London IV and, and CloudBase, um, I'm I have three gliders now, and technically a fourth one if I get my snake back. Um, that's in getting a whole brand new set of, of lines and um, um, the gliders uh, passed all the other tests, but it needed, needed a new set of lines. So well, it's a new lines. It's a new, it's a new glider. It is a new glider. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm a little tempted to sell that glider. Um, although it has uh, quite a lot of nostalgia for me because it has flown in all 48 States uh, or the contiguous States. And it has also done uh, half of the coast to coast. So I, it's going to be with a heavy heart that I sell it, but anyone wants to buy um, a piece of history, maybe um, that, that glider, I'm literally, once, once I get it back with the, the lines, it's going to be at a very, very good price to let it go. Um, my Vitarazzi that flew in the 48 contiguous states and um, either that frame or maybe even my Elite is going to be up for sale. So my plan is to part with the the additional engine that I have, although it's kind of nice knowing I've got two units. Um, but I have my eyes on on something else. Um, I just don't know when and, and how <laughs> um, so that I that I have another course engine. But that's where the crew really, really paid off. Right. I mean, um, what a lot of people didn't realize was I, I was flying for seven and a half hours per day. Um, but we had about another seven to 10 hours of work every day between getting up early, double checking all the equipment, actually fine tuning um, the carburetor for that few legs of the trip. That was all Ray's job. And so Ray, his first hour of the day was getting my machine ready. Uh, and as everybody else did, got their uh, side of their jobs done. My job was to talk to Dave Wood, who had already been up for a couple of hours to look at the weather and tell me what I had to do. So we did, literally did that trip with two wings and one motor is how we did it. So, you know, that I, I kind of like being able to say that because the reliability of the equipment today is so good. If you do sufficient maintenance, not ridiculous amounts of maintenance. I mean, I, I see some guys that are, tinkering all the time and then wonder why they have problems and you know they spend more time tinkering than they do flying whereas you know I, i'm doing just the right amount of maintenance for the amount of flying i could probably do a little more maintenance um but the machines are so reliable i i feel just as safe planning a general aviation flight as i do a paramotor flight because i believe my equipment is going to work the same and while the inspection requirements are maybe a little greater, I mean, they're every 50 hours for the airplanes that I fly. If I 
do my paramotor every 50 hours. It's about as reliable for the most part. Um, and I trust my gear. So that's, that's how I can do these long trips. A lot of times unsupported too. That's crazy. Now I know that we got about 20 more minutes until nine. So we've been, we've been talking for a while. I know that you said that you could talk for hours and hours and I know you can, um, but uh, we'll try to wrap it up here in the next 20 minutes. Um, but everybody has lives. I mean, we, we got to go back to, to somebody and something, right? I mean, we can't just stay on here forever. I wish we could, but um, anyway, yeah, the, uh, oh yeah, real quick. Any questions in the super chat? Any questions on the panel for Harley? I think we lost the audience. I talked too long. <laughs> no, that's what oh, they man. came here for. They came here for you, bud. Yeah, you've been, it's been fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Really enjoyed. Um, yeah, I mean, perfect. So it's like every time that I do one of these, you know, podcasts, even if we don't have a guest, I always learn something, you know, and, and, and that's what it's all about. This is about just learning, you know, telling your experience on what you're doing, learning from other experienced pilots. And Harley is very experienced. I mean, he had every state already already went across the, uh, the whole United States. I mean, I, I would love to be able to do what you do. I mean, I love listening to you because, I mean, it gives me. It gives me that hope that maybe one day I can follow in Harley's footsteps and fly from coast to coast. You know, one of these days I might hit, you know, at least the 48 states. Well, it, it, you know, I, I think my comment to that is, you know, yeah, we all have commitments and, um, you know, other things that get in, in the way. But if it's something you really want to do, I think what I, what I, what I hoped I demonstrated was that this, what I did was 100% accessible to almost anybody. It didn't, it wasn't even that crazy expensive. I mean, basically for about, I don't know, $500 a state, I saw 50 states. That's pretty amazing and got to fly in them. So it didn't cost that much money and sure it took seven months. I could have done it in two or three months. I wish I'd taken twice as long. Um, so, you know, my encouragement to you and to anybody else, you know, maybe chew it off in smaller pieces, but go, go do it. It's, it's very accessible. Um, and it's not, not anywhere near as expensive as you might think it is. Um, yeah, the bigger trips and, and that kind of thing, it's, they're more difficult, but pick the stuff you can do on your own. You really don't need an entourage. Um, and sometimes it's just quicker and easier to do it that way. There's a lot yeah, of places right. out there to fly. Yeah, I'm here to fly. I've been trying to yeah, figure out. Do it. I mean, I, I, I mean, that's as I said. You know, what I hope to demonstrate was that anybody can do this. I'm never going to be, you know, um, Matt Minyard or, you know, some of these other guys that you know. Even Justin is coming so far in in some of the maneuvers that he is doing. I'm never going to be that kind of a pilot. Um, yeah, I'm developing skills very slowly, but, you know, I'm an XC pilot because I sit in the seat and, and I go places um, and that that that's the fun. I think so, too. It's, it, to me, um, it's the adventure. I mean, me as an old guy, I, I want to get up there, look around, fly around, you know, check things out XC. You know, I, I love that, you know, two and a half hours, two to two and a half hours every time I launch. You know, I'm up there unless it's cold then it's like maybe 20 minutes because my hands are frozen. But, you know, um, I, I during the summertime, absolutely. In the morning, burn five gallons of gas going out and flying. You know, um, if it's a good midday, might do midday. But in the evening, 
I'm going to go out and burn another five gallons. I mean, I love to fly, but just like you said, I'm not going to be doing wing overs and flips and twists and barrel rolls and infinites. You know, that's, that's not what I want to do. I like the XCs. Um, anybody that's listening, do you guys like all the, the acro stuff or do you like the cross country or just buzzing around your LZ? Let us know in the super chat, what you like. Um, Will, what do you like as far as flying? Are you an XC guy or? No, I'm more of a low and slow kind of low guy. Slow? Like mm-hmm. Close to the ground and carving some fields and, you know, um, I tell you, the sport is just, it's amazing and you don't appreciate it until it's gone. And by that, I mean, I, I've normally, I've, I've averaged five flights a day for the last two years. No, I mean, five flights a day. Wow. Five, <laughs> five flights a week for the last two years, but I've only flown twice in the last month and a half because of my leg injury so uh and i'm so i'm back up and it just it's just like oh man yes this is why i love this sport so um yeah i mean i want i want to see this sport go on and become a success and um yeah yeah, just i i I defend it with a passion and we have to i mean we're at the we're on the verge of something that is it's going to be huge it's obvious it's just going to outgrow itself you know so uh, i want it to grow right and in the, the right direction and i want it to be safe you know so the kids can do it you know i mean i want them to feel what it is that i felt up there and it's so neat too when you go to like a, a fly and you see you know um eight nine ten year olds flying paramotors which is amazing yeah, yeah. i think jade she's got a 14 year old coming on her show um who, um who flies and then of course uh fly at wyatt he was he was 11 when i met him at uh, oh, was it 11 okay i i, I was trying to, yeah yeah i was trying to remember um fly at wyatt to how old he was but yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know yeah, it's, it's pretty funny because he was he was at salton too and i had met him right before his his first official solo right oh. and um you know he's he's such an incredible inspiration really um way 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 older than his years um you know he was uh driving a a car down at salton and his mom was like well prefer him to be flying he knows what he's doing up there (laughs) so So you you have talked to him so i mean it's it you hear all these i don't know words coming out of this little boy's mouth that doesn't seem like it should be coming out of this little sounds like an adult and can you imagine if yeah. we started flying when we were 10 years old we, we yeah. should all be that lucky to have been sitting next to matt minyard for so many years i mean yeah just, he has a way i mean he can articulate um things about gliders that most of us can't and yeah. uh, that's, that's pretty cool yeah, it's impressive. He knows his stuff. Any yeah. chance uh, you'd be making it out to uh, Bad Apples this year? I really would like to. I almost came out last year. Um, you know, I wanted to do Inner's Foot Drag as well. Um, I got to find a way. Um, it, this, the, the, the problem is I have a business that's finally recovering. And uh, I... Um, I, I, I really do. I want to just goof off and, and go flying yeah. or do all these, these things. Yeah. But it's, a, it's a constant battle. Um, but I, I think I'm going to find a way this year to do it. I think things are recovering where 
uh, as much as I would like to make a little bit more money and, and be able to do some more cool stuff, uh, I, I'll sacrifice the earnings and a heartbeat to go do those, um, do this fly instead. The problem is it's such a long way to drive, especially with the camper. And uh, I really need to build a van out. Um, so one of these days. Right. Awesome. Uh, you know, even even Oshkosh is difficult. You know, it's thirty hours of driving each way, um, and um, it, it just you know costs a bundle. Yeah, that's that's the rough part. Yeah, um, I think I I think Bad Apples I'll be able to go. Um, when is Bad Apples? By the way, I don't have that written down. I forgot. Anybody know offhand? It's in May. I think it's in May. Let's see. I'll tell you for sure. May of 2022. Bad apples. May 12th through the 15th. 12th through the 15th. I will be there or be square. If I'm not there, something happened horrible, and I don't even think <laughs> about it. I mean, I'm I'm going to do everything I can to to get to bad apples. I really enjoyed bad apples. I enjoyed everyone that was out there. I enjoyed flying that uh, that open mine that had the different color water out there was great flying around. Um, I didn't fly the other uh, the different places, but they said that there's so many different places around bad apples that was just incredible. So I think I need to become a ferry pilot where I can ferry an aircraft across the country and basically have a free ride. (laughs) That'd be really nice to be able to pick up pilots along the way in different airports. Just throw it in the in the airplane and keep on going to bad apples. Right. And the worst case scenario is maybe I just come out with no paramotor either. You know, just the just the camaraderie and getting to see everyone is is is, is really the fun part. And I've flown at that field before, so I know I know how I just feel pretty well. <laughs> how many people would say here, Harley? Uh, use my equipment. Yeah. Go fly, have fun. I, I don't I mean, think yeah. I don't think anybody. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sure they would. I mean. <laughs> I'm sure they would. And then they'd probably have you sign it. Can you sign my paramotor now that you uh, flown it? <laughs> sign my wing. Yeah. Uh, awesome. I think the only only thing I got to sign was uh, my my original 50 state boots, which uh, as far as I could tell, Dave Ruff wasn't even able to auction those off. <laughs> oh, no. I think, it, I think it cost me more to send them to him than he ever was able to, <laughs> able to get for them. <laughs> That's funny. Austin, uh, of course, well, he poses a, a question in the chat. He says he's a lift paramotor. He says, do we want it to grow? Do we want the sport to grow? And yeah, I mean, I, I don't really think we have a choice now. Well, I mean, it's going to grow, but how many people do you know started flying and now they are not flying anymore? Or they're only fair weather pilots or they've flown so much. They're like, I'll fly one of these days. You know, I mean, I'm almost to the point that, no, not really. I mean, I've flown so much that there's been really nice days that I could have gone flying, but I'm like, you know what? How about I just hang out with my wife and walk the dogs? Where I could have flown is a beautiful day. So how many people are going to get into the sport, go fly, and then go, all right, I had fun, and stop? Yeah. I mean, I think I think it's big, you know, there's definitely high turnover in the sport, but I think that's true mm-hmm aviation in general um and it a lot of it sometimes people's lives transition or change and that has an impact um you know either it brings them into the sport and keeps them in or it brings them in and then they go out and so forth so i think 
you know, different parts of the country too, uh, and different weather patterns, all of those have pretty dramatic impacts as to how the sport sort of evolves and, and grows in those areas. I mean, if we could all live in Florida and, and Southern Texas, we'd probably all fly a hell of a lot more than we do. Um, or even fly or even go to like school they get a bunch of flights in their under the belt and they want to buy a paramotor wing and they got to work for the next two years to be able to to yeah, they gotta go back to school then they have to go back to school but <laughs> yeah. once you pay for school you can always go back for free right right um i there i mean it's probably not as big of a challenge as it is for us here in the barrier but um I don't really want to just beat up on California, but you know we seem to be legislating ourselves into a box. And the other thing that I'm really not liking, particularly here in the barrier, is that you've got a lot of Karens and Kevins that are, you know, squeaky wheels. And it seems that what the counties and law enforcement are always doing is they're trying to you know, curtail, you know, the, the noisy squeaky wheel that says, oh, I don't want that activity here, or uh, they woke me up and, you know, you can fly perfectly legal and, and even be um, very respectful about the areas that you fly and try not to create a problem. But, you know, it's very, very difficult for us here in, in the Bay Area to get access to any land or property um, to be able to fly from. And um, a lot of the, the local pilots drive an hour, sometimes two hours to get to places where they can fly. So wow, if you, if you live in that. an area that's very, very congested um, um, or the, you know, maybe it's a bunch of local parks. So we have East Bay parks that control a huge number of the parks uh, for the various different counties. And they have a rule that just says, no, you can't fly drones and you cannot fly anything um, in these parks. And they're set up so that the majority of people who sit behind a computer can walk. And then they lease the land out um, to farmers so that they can graze their cattle and they can um, make it good for, for farmers. So when we try and fly over it, sometimes they tell us we can't do it, even though we're doing it legally. And there have been a few run-ins with East Bay parks that have ordinances that aren't even legal. And they're there to really just persuade us not to go there because it's too much of a hassle and we, we don't want to deal with them. Um, and they always want to find something. And in fact, I, I, there was one, one officer one day that actually threatened like four of us pilots that were there. And I mean, we had a dead to rights at that point for threatening us, but she was like, I'll find something that I can write you guys up for. And, you know, unfortunately, those kinds of run-ins, um, I've seen a lot more of as the sport has got bigger and there's more of us flying. And so I, I, I love flying with my local guys, but I, a lot of times I fly solo because it draws less of attention. Um, and I, I don't get people walking up on me. The moment I'm flying with... A bunch of other guys and it, it just happened to me at, at Pinal where you know I took took my crew with me and and we went there and we went to try and find out where we could take off and where we could go and so forth without any problems it was a notum for skydivers and we you know I flew all the way around did everything 100% legitimately and then we still got walked out by 
some guy who didn't identify himself, who said that I flew over a federal building there, um, even though the, the charts say that it's perfectly legal to fly there. In fact, I can fly right over the Air National Guard. The only thing you can't do with the Air National Guard is fly a drone over it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we, everyone's, no one wants to piss the Air National Guard off, so you avoid that little area. But because I flew right up to the edge and I didn't fly over this particular piece of the property, um, they, they walked up on us and basically were fairly persuasive in saying, well, we can't stop you, but, you know, we're, we're trying to tell you, we, you, you know, we drop things out of the sky. And my argument was, well, if you drop things out of the sky, then the FAA says you have, uh, you know, make sure it doesn't hit anybody on the way down. Um, and so making that argument wasn't fair, but I see this more and more where, you know, either people in authority or a squeaky wheel um, is making it more and more difficult. And it's very difficult to find places to fly here um, in, in, in the area of Northern California that I live in, which is once again, why I like to use airports because um, getting access to property is hard. So I think everyone's different and everyone's area is different and so forth, but, it's tough around here. Very interesting. Yeah, I I mean, our airport is right down the road, and it doesn't take me very long to pack up, go to the airport, and fly pretty much anywhere I want to. And there's other little airports all around here that I can, you know, hop to. I can hop from this airport to another airport to different, um, I mean, it's, it's farmland as far as I can see, rolling hills. We're pretty lucky over here. I forgot about you guys that are in congested areas. Um, all you guys in the super chat, if you're still here, I mean, it's almost nine o'clock my time. Um, are you able to fly from airports or fields or what is your favorite LZ? Uh, let me know in the super chat as we're ready to, to wind down our, our podcast. Now, uh, I've learned a lot. Um, I understand more about that ADSB than I did before, uh, first talking to you, um, Safety, of course, is extremely important. I'm glad that we went over um, safety. It was fun to um, talk about the different airports. Um, and uh, mine is not towered, and nobody really cares what you do as long as you don't, you know, run into anything. Thank goodness. Uh, your your coast to coast is amazing. Uh, I know that you're still doing a lot of editing, and that's going to be coming out sometime this year, right? Uh, late this year or when do you think that's going to come yep. out uh greg is on his way back to canada i think uh tomorrow and um he's going to be basically dedicating um a bunch of time now that he's, um he's finished uh, with parajet and um that that you know once we get the edit done the hardest part is going to be distribution and um we'll have to make some some tough decisions it's uh going to cost a fair amount of money for us to finish doing the edit um and so i'm i've got to find a way to foot the bill for that um but once once it's done um either it'd be the legacy i leave behind or with some luck we'll get it distributed and um try and recover some of those costs and hopefully get it out there um you know there'll be a part to the story that that most people don't know about me and so forth so it's um it's going to have a human side to it other than just the flying do you have a time frame you're shooting for or well we we said last year i you know i i I think we'll have a finished product 
you know, during the course of this year. Um, I'm hoping by the middle of the year we'll have have something ready to to distribute the question as whether whether we can get it distributed this year. If you look at a lot of the documentaries that are out there that are sort of made in this in this style, talking about people's great adventures, um, you know, sometimes it's it's a few years to um, to get it distributed um, through any of the networks that are, that are out there. Um, if we rush it too quickly, then obviously the ability for us to recover um, the cost to, to finish the production becomes limited. So, do you have a GoFundMe or something like that, or a Kickstarter? Uh, there, there is a GoFundMe for the 50x challenge, which is still up there and running. Um, but I haven't, I haven't pursued collecting money from anybody. So, um, I think all the money that I got during the 50 state tour um, and coast to coast, I landed up to donating anyway to, to resurgence. So, I mean, I, unfortunately, you know, it's, I, I don't know. I'll take whatever comes and um, we'll find a way. I'm, I'm if, you, if you, if you kickstart it or go fund me, you know, uh, let us know, um, you know, we're all family. We would love to be able to help you, you know, um, to do this project. You know, um, you know, everybody sending five, 10, 20 bucks to you in the community can definitely help with production cost. And um, yeah, it, it does. I mean, I, I want to get something finished. I, so I think initially I'll take a little bit of money out of the retirement and we'll, we'll get something made. Um, and then once we've got it made, um, if, if when we get around to distribution, if, if people want to help out at that point, I think that that would be fantastic. You need to put it on Netflix too. Oh, uh, we're, we're going to try. That's that's a pretty pretty challenging uh, thing to go do, but um, we 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 probably have a one shot deal at that, and so we've got to have our ducks in a row. That'd be pretty Carly, cool. You are awesome, man. I mean, you're such a great ambassador for yeah. the sport. I mean, thank you. Appreciate that. You guys too, that. man. I mean, you guys, I see you guys all over it all of the time. I um. I really do feel a little embarrassed sometimes when you guys give me those kudos because I, so, so many other great guys doing some cool stuff, you know, I'll mint you right now. He's out there on, you know, this, this Sandor. I mean, those guys do so much to promote the sport and share. I'm just, just one guy, man. Everybody, everybody plays their part. There you go. It's, it's a big family. It's it a big is. family and we all support each other. We all learn from each other, which is, which is amazing. And I love learning from everybody. I love hanging out with people at, at, um, at fly-ins on Monday nights, being able to, you know, sit here and talk, talk with you guys and get different guests. Um, we got the 3d printers rolling in the back. I'm printing different things up and trying to, you know, come up with different, uh, throttles and, um, different things for paramotors. Um, I'm actually trying to, and I, I hate to say this out loud because somebody else is going to do it before me is I'm trying to 3d print a paramotor. I'm working on that right now and um, I just got another couple boxes of uh, of uh, filaments so my my machines are working overtime we'll, we'll see if that works out for us yeah, um, Caleb in my local group just printed a a flat like a a flight box where he can have his camera and his cell phone. Like when he opens it up, it actually pulls the cell phone up ready to go. Nice. Um, 
it looks amazing <laughs> so cool. yeah whenever i hear people 3d printing i get kind of excited because it definitely um you know it's a, it's, a, it's a passion to go do that with the time you guys have to spend right. uh, yeah there's even a filament called uh, um, a tpu that's that's um you know uh, flexible so i'm actually trying to figure out a way of doing flexible uh, you know, strings, not strings, but, you know, some way of making um, the netting for the paramotor. So um, it's, uh, it's, it's, wow. it's, it's interesting. My brain's going nonstop. And, yeah. um, you know, um, it, it, I just don't have a lot of time, unfortunately, to jump on Facebook and talk with people and YouTube. My YouTube right. channel is so slow right now. I haven't done any videos um i'm working with different people different students and just ha i'm just having a good time i mean this is all i do from sun up to sundown i'm paramotor that's all i do it was and congratulations on 20 with 21,000 over 21,000 subscribers sean that's awesome man do i yeah wow yeah no really yeah. let me go look are you serious i think, I think so very no. cool no yeah look at you grandpa Nobody likes, nobody wants to watch my stuff. Yes, they do. Oh, yeah. You're wrong. Not at all. <laughs> I mean, they, they want to watch Will Fly stuff. I mean, Will Fly, your, your stuff is hit heavily. I mean, three, four, 10,000 views per per uh, thing that you put out. I put something out, it gets 10, you know, 15, 20 views. I'm like, woohoo, 20 views. Yeah, but look at your subscribers, man. They love PPG Grandpa. Oh, I guess I do almost have 22,000. See? Yeah, see, I think it climbed I, another I, thousand while we were on the show. That's, that's see, I, I'm a little behind you guys, <laughs> maybe a lot. <laughs> just, just a wee bit, but yeah, I, I, one of the things that I do want to do in the future here is to do um, not teaching paramotor how to fly, but teaching all the other stuff that people that if they do want to self-train, they at least they understand airspace weather the different apps that you can use you know just there's so many things that if you're looking to self-train there's no youtube videos that teaches you all the stuff that you don't know that you don't know and uh, even if you do train at a big school i want to have things that you know people can watch and go oh well that's how you do that because how many people were trained on how to you know put a a um a chase cam on your wing you know how many people are, are you know learn these little small things that we learn as paramotor pilots later on but not in the school and not online um i want to do a lot of maintenance on online too where i can show this is how you do the maintenance on the most 185 i'm getting that corsair i got a uh, adam 80 so i want to do a lot of things that are beneficial for the paramotor community yeah that's exciting <clears throat> bill, bill h says congratulations sean and John Wayne has an awesome idea, Harley. You can uh, sell sell the video in advance. He says he'd buy it. Pre-order, yes. Do pre-orders, Harley. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, pre-order this. Uh, I would. I Yeah. Let me. Let me. Um. Let me give you my credit card right here. Go ahead. Go ahead, take it. <laughs> take 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 my money here. Here, take it all. I don't. I don't need this stuff. It's just green. It's just laying around here. But yeah. Um. That's a good idea, Harley. Um. Pre-order. Do some pre-orders. Uh, yeah, that's that sounds great. Yeah, yeah we're, we 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 keep working the strategy, and um, you know, right right now the the big push is to just get a finished product um, ready to go, and um, 
you know, we made that decision, you know, um, earlier this year. And, um, you know, initially we were trying to see whether we could get funding to help finish it off, um, whether we could sell the raw footage and have someone else, you know, produce their own movie from it. Um, you know, I have a book that I need to finish writing. Uh, literally, I've got two more chapters to write for the front end and the back end. And um, we've got something. So it's, it's just tough, you know, to create the motivation and, um, you know, get it out there and then hopefully people watch it or pick it up. And uh, that's the hard part that there really is. So, uh, finished product right now. We're, we're going to, you just, uh, you, everyone should just be pinging, uh, Greg on, uh, Greg Anthony Harris. If you haven't been to his channel, then, uh, go to his channel, subscribe, and and leave him a message saying, "Hey, finish this video." <laughs> um, I left yeah. I left a um, I left his link down below. I left all of your links down below, Harley, and below it I gave a special thanks to Greg Anthony Harris, and I left his YouTube channel link down there too. So if you guys haven't gone to uh, Harley's links, go down there, click his links, subscribe, um, like uh, anything that you got to. I don't even know what you do, right? You go one place, you click all the you, buttons. You, yeah, you just click. <laughs> Just click buttons. Just just click them and go there and click, right? Um, and we definitely appreciate all of you guys that, that are watching this every Monday night. I know that there's so many other things you could be doing. You could be watching TV. You can be with your significant other. You can go walk the dog. But you're sitting here. Well, maybe you're not sitting here. Maybe you have it on. You're walking around and doing something. And you're listening to us. But thank you very much. We appreciate yeah. you. Um, not only do we get a couple hundred people um, that that are on here that watch it on here but we get a lot more people on the audio uh through our audio podcast and we have lots of people that listen to that um all over the world um you can find us pretty much anywhere even on amazon audible um all your favorite podcasting apps just find just go to or search for ppg grandpa ppg grandpa's paramotor podcast or even Par uh, paramotor podcast you'll probably find us um, and we definitely appreciate you listening so much. And if Harley does do the the pre-sale type of thing, uh, let me know. And what we can do is uh, every week we can we can donate um, a pre-sale to a winner, and I'll send you the money. So well, that that's awesome. Let us know how we can help you out because we would definitely love to do it. That's very cool. Thank you absolutely any other questions in the chat anything uh from us on the panel i just i i i've learned so much in the last couple of years you know last years that i now that i you know i, I call it i co-host the show you know pr the show or whatever but i i look forward to monday nights and i love getting out there and looking for that guest and Harley, thank you so much. You are like the hum the most humble guy ever. I mean, I, I mean we're, we're just honored to have you seriously on our show tonight. And I thank you for your time and everything for, uh, you know, hanging out with us tonight on Monday night and all that good stuff. And there's nobody in the chat that said, I don't know, Harley. Everybody knew you. Yeah, not one. <laughs> Everybody knew you. Someone so. said, Tucker, who? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Knew Harley. Yeah. yeah, Tucker Who, but we know Harley. That, that's right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people are excited about the show tonight. You know, that got you know, like, cool. Harley's going to be a cool. So, very good. 
So Harley, how do, how do we get up with you? I know I have all the links down below, but for all the people that are listening to this podcast and they're not watching this live, how do we get up with you? Uh, and what social media do you use? Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, you can direct message me through Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and even TikTok. So pretty what much. Do we search, what do we search for to find you? Uh, just search for 50x challenge and you, you should be able to find me that way. Um, yeah, I think most people hit me up through Facebook, but uh, Instagram's pretty popular and um, even my TikTok's growing. Not as fast as a few others, but it's growing. Can we Snapchat you too? I, I do have a Snapchat. <laughs> do you I really? <laughs> I, I, um, is it 50x also 50x it, challenge it is not 50x unfortunately. all right <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome uh, yeah most most people have probably dm me through uh facebook or um uh instagram but honestly it, and i monitor all that stuff it eventually gets to me somehow Awesome. Well, like I said, all the links are down below here. And when we do the audio podcast, I'll put all of your links there too. Uh, Harley, it was so awesome to chat with you again. I mean, our last time we chatted was episode 24 and now we're in season three, episode 110. Um, hopefully that we don't have to wait till, you know, episode 200 to see you again. You're more than welcome to hang out with us anytime that you're not flying. Well, thank you. Hopefully I'll get something done in the next few months and uh, have something more to talk about. As if you haven't done enough. I know. That's I, I hear him and he's like, you know, I need to go do some flying because I haven't flown in a while. <laughs> uh, I, I have, I don't know, I have like four pretty major trips that I really want to go do that are just logistically an absolute nightmare. Um, the one that I think is doable this year, um, it's a little scary because uh, it's not a slam dunk. It's 100% unsupported. Wow. Um, and um, it, it's, it's flying a route at a time of the year when it's not ideal. So um, Interesting. I, I, I got to figure it out. And uh, it's a little scary. It's um, the first... 400 miles alone are very very difficult so we'll see we'll wow. see if i pull it off or become a statistic wow are you ever th are you thinking about doing the icarus race in the future uh, i would love to do icarus um you know obviously there was a fair amount of talk about maybe it coming out here this year so i'm I, i'm down hopefully i don't embarrass myself you know if i if i do it i've got to do it well um and there's some tough people to go go up against. You know, there's um, there's some very very talented pilots out there that have got skills. Um, you know, yeah, I made it look good, but if that's a you've you've got to nail it to to compete. And of course, if I do it, I I want to do well. Absolutely. Well, I've always said that I want to do Icarus race. Um, I don't think it'll be this year, but if they do start doing it again next year. Hmm. Thinking about it, huh? to, yeah. yeah. So you know, I'll, I'll mention this too, right? You know, everyone's talking about about Icarus, but you know, one of the things that I found with um, um, cross countries was a lot of people kind of find it hard to get into cross country flying because they don't have someone who can support them. 
uh, or they try and do it with a couple of other guys. And of course, everyone wants to fly. And so it's a little more difficult. But, you know, there, there are a few people now doing these adventure flights, right? I mean, you can go do, go to One Up Adventure, talk to Travis and to Ali, and you could do a trip. Like I have an invitation, not through them, but to go to, um, go to Egypt later this year. Um, so that's an extreme that one, right? But yeah. by contrast to that, you've got Jean-Francois, who, you know, has a few trips planned where you can basically go and do a two or 300 mile trip over a few days and, and go do that kind of thing. So I think there's actually a business model out there. I uh, kind of wish I could just pull it together and say, right, okay, well, I'm going to put on a trip from here to here. And I'll be the support crew for a whole bunch of other people to fly. And I can provide the advice to go do that. So, and if you're part of a local flying group, one of the cool things with, with, with my local group is they'll do fly camping where they'll fly 35 miles, go land and camp for the night and fly back in the morning. Um, do that with your local group. Um, there's, there's a lot of opportunity to go do this kinds of cool things. Absolutely. Sounds, yeah, there's just so many things you can do as, as a paramotor pilot, you know, I mean, uh, the when I say cross country, and Will said he likes low and slow, I like cross country low and slow, you know, it's not just, I'm going to get up to altitude and fly, I'm talking about, yeah, like Will said, low and slow, go someplace, have a, you know, find, find some cool things. On my last trip, I found a, a banded truck that was half buried. Right. How, how cool is that? I got that on video um flying and seeing bald eagles flying above you and below you that's that's awesome too um i wish that we could talk a lot more it, it's already almost 9 30. i cannot believe we talked for two and a half hours this is insane because it just went by like snap hey, yeah it doesn't feel like it does it no that's that's the reason why you know i think our longest podcast was like four or five hours we just yep 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 all right let's cut this one off then you know you don't want to go for five hours i mean no, no, you know. I, I can't do that <laughs> well once again thank you so much harley i appreciate you and like oh that's enough <laughs> i appreciate you jumping on and and yapping with us for such a long time we'll fly um eric and jade and of course our paramom usa linda anderson um you know about all the different shows out there if you don't know Monday nights, it's uh, with me, PPG Grandpa. You can find me at ppggrandpa.com, iflyparamotors.com. And of course, we go under clearproptv.com. And we also have the audio, which is paratalk.org. And we do this every Monday night, even if, except for last Monday, but we still put a, a one out there um, with uh, Doug Martin. If you didn't see that one, Doug Martin gave his two-year update on his crash on on um, Valentine's Day. So check oh, that out. It's only like- I got to watch that. Yeah, it was, it was last that. week. Okay. Yeah, it was it was awesome. Um, on Tuesday nights, we have uh, ppgshane.com that does his Tuesday night hangouts on the first of the month, and then Jade or then um, um, Eric will do the rest of the month at ppglear.com. Um, on Wednesday, then uh, Eric's wife Jade paramotorgirl.com hosts an all girl paramotor podcast. You find her at ppggirl.com. And then, of course, something happens on Thursdays. What's that, Miss Linda? <laughs> my squeaky voice. Um, paraglidingtalk.com on Thursday night with your host, the awesomest, Robert Michaels. And Robert Michaels is who to you? He's my 
number one son. Oh, I have two number one sons, but yes, <laughs> he's my number one para para paraglider son. That's there you go. There you yeah. go. Because you can't call you know your other son number two because no. he's like what number no. two. I don't no. want to use Ryan's my uh, Ryan's my other angel. Yeah absolutely and you can always find linda over at her facebook she's always trolling facebook finding new pet pilots and and uh she's uh, absolutely amazing she's our pr girl if you want to get up with us and be on our show go to paramomusa.com that forwards over to her facebook page say hello and say that ppg grandpa sent to me we also got will fly from willflyppg.com makes amazing content tell us a little bit about your content before we head on out bud I just like to uh, make videos about my paramotoring adventures with uh, some corny humor. <laughs> um, you can find me on YouTube under WillFly or WillFlyPPG.com. Dot com. I love these dot coms. Hey, Harley, thanks again, buddy. I really appreciate you. Thank, Thank you, you for you. hanging with us for two and a half hours. How many hours? <laughs> how, how many hours did we go on, on episode 24? Do you remember? It wasn't very long. <laughs> <laughs> that's back in the olden days when we just you know didn't go more than an hour right right i think so all right you guys have a wonderful evening thank you again harley we appreciate you uh we appreciate everybody thank you and we'll see you tomorrow is it is it ppg lear or is it ppg shane that we're going to tomorrow ppglear.com tomorrow and paramotorgirl.com on wednesday and paraglidingtalk.com on thursday y'all have a great evening love y'all air smooches and everything we'll see you next time thank you harley you guys are awesome